Hey, welcome to another exciting podcast from Freedom House Church. My name is Troy Maxwell. I'm the senior pastor of our church. We are one church that meets in multiple locations, which means we have different communicators at all of our different locations. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from one of our teaching teams. I know that it will bless you. You will walk away changed. So enjoy this message. Freedom House, woo! Hey, I am uh, up here today, not as your speaker, but to introduce a very special guest. He's actually a part of our extended family, Pastor Dennis Rouse, all the way from Victory World Church in Atlanta. He is our pastor's pastor. He's known Pastor Troy and Penny for about 35 years. Uh, he's coached them. He's trained them. And he, you see his influence in this house, and I love that. He also serves on our external board, and so he's coaching and training our pastors all the time. Uh, not only that, but he's pastored his church for 30 years. He has lots and lots of wisdom. So I want you to jump on your feet and give Pastor Dennis Rouse a Freedom House welcome. Thank you. You guys can be seated. Thank you all so much. We're Colleen and I are excited to be with you. I know uh, that there's another group that watches us online from around the world, and uh, we have people from the state of Washington, from New York, Tennessee, Florida. Let's welcome all of our online viewers as they join us from everywhere. It's always great to be with you guys. Uh, always wonderful to see what God's doing at, at Freedom House. Uh, we, we, were, we, we were with you when you started this church 17 years ago, and it's uh, just amazing to see the expansion of this church. We've known Troy and Penny. Penny was in our youth group when we were youth pastors back in Richmond, Virginia, almost 35 years ago. That's how old. We're old. <laughs> Colleen and I are old. We're in our 60s now. And so uh, this is a special weekend for us because we, uh, we are getting ready to celebrate 30 years of our church, and we just transitioned. We just told our church this past weekend that we're transitioning out as the senior leaders next year about a year from now into, a, into something new, and God's raised up some wonderful pastors to take our congregation. So this is the first weekend our church is experiencing these new pastors stepping in to their new roles as they start to, to, to enter into their leadership. So I, we get the privilege of being with you this weekend, and we had to, we had to get out of the house and, and just get away, and so here we are. Amen. So I want to just say, uh, first of all, let me, let me just say this about this message. Uh, I know you're in an anthropology series, and so I said, let me just talk a little bit out of something that I think will fit into this series out of this book that I wrote a couple years ago uh, called Ten. We took our church on a journey about two years ago. We said, what are we, as a leadership team, so what are we trying to accomplish as a church? What is the church supposed to be doing uh, when it gathers people together on the weekends. You know, the church is not a building. The church is a lifestyle, amen? It's, it's living for Jesus every day. And our greatest concern for the church is that so many people, especially in this country, go to church as believers, but they never become disciples. They never move from the believing state to the disciple state. And we realize that you really don't change the world with believers. You change the world with disciples. God used 12 disciples to turn the world upside down. 
And if you can make a church full of disciples, you can change the whole city or community that they live in. If it, all it is is believers, it's just a building where people gather on Sunday morning, have a nice message, and go home. And nothing really transforms around it. So we wrote this book called 10. It's called The 10 Qualities That Move You from a Believer to a Disciple. Uh, we have this for sale out there. And I think you'll be, you'll be blessed by it. But I'm going to talk about one particular chapter out of this book called Living on Purpose. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. And let me just begin with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for the next few moments together. And I just ask you to help me to communicate this word in such a way that every person here has ears to hear, eyes to see what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church in these last days. I pray that today we come in one way, but we're going to leave differently. There's going to be some deposit from you, Holy Spirit, that we go out with that transforms us in the way that we think, the way that we live, and the way that we act in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. So Paul writes this letter in, to the book, in the book of Romans, and one of the famous uh, scriptures that a lot of Christians know is Romans chapter 8. Verse 28, so I'm going to read it. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, many years ago, I started meditating on that scripture, thinking deeply about what that meant because it's such a, a wonderful scripture. But I think a lot of people in the church, when they read that scripture, they, you know, this, the famous, well, everything's going to work for my good, even though bad things are happening, all things are going to work together for my good. All things don't work together for good for everyone. All things work to good, together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. In other words, it, it, life doesn't always work out for everyone, but it says here, if you will love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and you're in his calling, you're in his purpose. And I found that a lot of people in the church don't get that. They don't understand, first of all, the context of loving God, really loving God, really falling in love with God. Now, how many of you have ever been in love with someone? Let me see your hands. You've been in love with someone. Go ahead and raise your hand if you're a teenager. I've been in love with somebody. All right. You remember how it felt when you first fell in love? Remember how you felt when you first fell in love? I remember when I first fell in love with my first girlfriend. Uh, in high school, I mean, everything is different. The, the skies are beautiful. The, the, the birds are chirping. Everything's wonderful. But then, then you fall out of love with people. You fall in love. You fall out of love until you find the right one for the rest of your life, the one that you're going to marry, that you want to love for the rest of your life. But everybody knows when you get married and, and you've been married for a while, it's not uncommon for you to sort of lose your first love. To lose that feeling and that emotion that you had for that person when you first found them. And it's, the, it's not that kind of love that sustains you. It's God's love that sustains you. And God tells us, he says, I want you to love me with everything. And not only love me with everything, but love me more than you love any person on this earth. More than you love your wife. More than you love your children. More than you love your parents. More than you love your friends. More than you love your career, more than you love anything in this world, I want you to love me with everything you've got. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with loving God with everything? Here's what we do. We love God most of the time with half of our heart, and we love the world with the other half. 
And, 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 and God says very clearly, you can't love God and the world at the same time. So that's the big tension, isn't it, when Christianity is learning how to love God with everything and not love the world at all. Not love the world. Now, it doesn't mean you don't love people, but it just says don't love the things of this world. All right? So then secondly, he says you're in your calling and your purpose. You're fulfilling why you're here on the earth. I started thinking a little bit about that when I was younger. I got saved when I was 22. I had just gotten out of God's college, the University of Georgia. You know that's God's college, right? The big G on the helmet stands for God. They beat Notre Dame, who most people thought was God's college, but now Georgia has taken over for them last night. Anyway, uh, I, I, I was not a Christian in college. How many of you were not Christians when you were in high school and college? Let me see your hands. You were not Christian. So I was the, like Paul talked about, I was the chief sinner of all. Y'all know what the chief sinner That means I, I led the way in sin. I had no shortage of sin in my life. I went, with a, I went about it with all my passion, all my heart, all my soul, and all my strength. All right? And then when I got saved, I had a Damascus Road experience. And this is kind of cool. I had my Damascus Road experience. I had a, a time where God visited me driving down Interstate 85 in a van in Charlotte, North Carolina. This is where I had my God moment. I had my God moment in 1981, right along 85, somewhere along here, and God slew me. I mean, he just came into my van. He started breaking me down. I didn't have anybody preaching to me. I just gave my heart to Jesus. And when I did that, I went back to my home in New York, and I sold my business, and I moved to Richmond, and I started my life over again. But in the process, I was asking three major questions in my early 20s. And these are three questions that you need to ask yourself, especially if you're young, you need to ask yourself these three questions. The first question is what I call the question of existence. Why am I alive? Why am I alive? Now, I was asking that question in a different way because I had so many close calls that, of dying in college because I was not a, a very sane person in college. And I did crazy things. And in fact, if you saw me in college, you probably wouldn't be sitting here listening to me now. It would be hard for you to adjust your thinking to this is a, this is a person that I saw in college. But, but anyway, why am I alive? That's the question of existence. The second question, does my life really matter? The question of significance. Does, I, does my life really matter? In the, in the sea of thousands and thousands and millions of people, do, does it really matter that I'm here? And then the third question is, what is my purpose that's the question of intention. In other words, what's God's intention for my life? So I set about an, on a journey at 22 to answer those three questions. Now, let me just tell you something before I get, get too deep into this. If you can answer those three questions, if you can really get the answer to those three questions and you start to follow the answers that God gives you in those three questions, you will not be the same person that you've been all your life. Something will transform inside of you. And you will do something in the earth that makes a difference. You will actually make a difference. All right, so let's talk about the first question. Why am I alive? The writer of Proverbs, Solomon, says this about our, our purpose. He said in Proverbs 16, 4, The Lord has made everything for his own purposes. So this is a simple answer. The simple answer, you're alive to fulfill God's purpose. In other words, when I wake up in the morning, I'm alive to fulfill God's purpose. Let's say that together. I'm alive to fulfill God's purpose. 
All right, now this is important because a lot of us, when we were, when we were being raised by our parents, we might have thought when we were growing up in school, in high school, that we were alive to fulfill our parents' purposes. And what happens is, and this is a good word for those of you that are parents, I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent now, is what happens is the role of parents is supposed to begin to teach their children how to not depend so much on them and start depending on God. And the role really is when they hit about 18 or 19 and they go off to college, you're no longer supposed to be their Holy Spirit. You're no longer the one that's supposed to be guiding them and directing them in their life. Now, you're supposed to be letting God guide them. Amen? A lot of parents have a hard time with that. A lot of parents have a hard time letting go. For some reason, I had parents that didn't have a hard time letting go. They let go when I was 14. Yeah, you're on your own. Hope you make it. But some of us that are trying to be good parents, we want our kids to do the rest the best they can. And, and the Lord said to me one time, he said, parents have wishes, but I have a purpose. And there's a difference between your parents' wishes for your life and God's purpose for your life. And at some point, you have to wean off your parents' influence and start to depend upon God. Amen? And so I started realizing that God had a higher purpose for me than what my parents wanted for me, than what my education told me to do or my counselors told me to do or my friends wanted me to do. And I started to walk in this. And here's the scripture. This is what Paul says about this. In Ephesians 1.11, he says, It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. So you can't find that in your parents. You have to find that in Christ. And it says, long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. And he had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose that he's working out in everything and everyone. All right, so the thing that got my attention was that he had his eye on me and he had his eye on you before you knew he had his eye on you. Before you were really ever born, he knew you. He knew why you were going to be born. I was born to, to my mom when she was 19 years old, and she got pregnant out of, out of wedlock, and they eventually got married, but pregnant out of wedlock, it was not a planned pregnancy, but back then abortion was not legal. Thank you, Jesus. Because otherwise, I wouldn't be here. And, and, and I was born because God had a plan for my life. Now, you know that God has the same plan for your life. He knew you before you were ever born. And then he said, here's his plan, glorious living. Everybody say glorious living. Glorious. All right, now I want you to think about your life right now. If you were really to define your life right now, I don't care if you're in high school, college, young adult, old adult, whatever. How would you define it? Would you define it as glorious living? Because that is the purpose of God. God wants you to plan out a life that produces his glory in the earth, that reflects who he is. All right, so that's your number one thing. You've got to understand, I'm, I'm, I'm alive because God has a purpose for my life. Second question, does my life really matter? Now, this is a huge question. It's a huge question. I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, you know, I've noticed now as I'm get, getting older, it seems like young America, young America, struggling more and more with depression, with suicide, 
with feelings of inadequacy, not measuring up, not feeling like they have any community, have any friends. A lot of social media has stolen that from them. And, you know, you got a thousand friends, but you know none of them. And, and th there's this element out there where people have just sort of lost their sense of value. They really don't have an understanding of how valuable they are. And when you lose your value, you stop doing things that are valuable. You stop living with value or living valuable lives. Now, think about things that steal value. I mean, all kinds of stuff out in society that steals value. Racism, for example, is a perfect example of something designed to steal value. It's where one race believes they're more valuable than another race. And they begin to extend that into their community, into the way that they teach their children, and so on and so forth. And we live in a country that has this incredible history of divisiveness and division and devaluing of race based on purely on another culture or another race. Then abortion. Think about abortion. Abortion is simply saying, this baby in me is less valuable than me. And so I'm going to go ahead and take their life because it's my choice. I'm going to take their life so I can have my life and the way I want to live. And when we devalue a child in the womb, it sets in motion a devaluing of all of humanity. You understand that. And so every time we turn around, you watch the news, there's always one group pitted against another group, devaluing, economic devaluing, career devaluing, education devaluing. You're less valuable than I am. Can I just tell you something? You, no matter what your level of education, no matter what race you are, no matter what your level of accomplishment, you are valuable. You are valuable to God. And how you measure value is not based on what the world says about you, what social media says about you, or what your accomplishments say about you. It's what God says about you. And your value is not measured by human worth. It's measured by the price that was paid for you on the cross through the blood of Jesus Christ that made you more valuable than silver or gold or anything in this earth. But unfortunately, because of the devaluing of people's lives, people don't fulfill all that God called them to do because they just don't feel like their life really matters. There's three levels that I think people live on. One of these levels you're living on, the first level is the, probably the most common level, and in, in, in more people live on here than anyone, it's the survival level. The majority of the world lives at this level. They're just trying to find one day to the next, survive to the next day. They don't even know where their, their money's going to come from. They don't know where their food's going to come from. There are many people in America today that are even living at this level, just keeping their head above water, just being able to just stay ahead and just enough to pay their bills, just get by, just make it to another day. This is their survival level. And like I said, it's, it's the lowest level of life, and it's where the majority of the world lives. The second level is where most people are trying to go, which is the success level. That's the level where you are succeeding in life. You've gotten a good job, a good education. You have enough money to pay your bills. You, you, you're, you're getting out of debt. You're, you're, you're taking vacations. You have a house. You have a car, something of that nature. And you consider that to be the highest level of life. It's the more you, money you make, the more successful you are. That's your goal in life. Most people that live at that level don't know there's a third level called the significance level. 
And the significance level, check this out, is not measured by how much money you have. It's not measured by how many human accomplishments you have. Your significance level is measured by how much you value other people as much as you value your own life. It's where you're willing, it's where you're willing to give up a portion of your life for the sake of God's purpose to minister to other people. Paul would write it this way in the book of Philippians. Here's what he would say in Philippians 2 and verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you not look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. In other words, you move from this selfie mentality. Look at me. Look what my clothes are about. Look at my food that I'm eating today. Take a picture of me, me, me. Look who I'm with. Look where I'm going. How many of you know that is the world that we live in? It's all about self when the world with Christ is all about others. I came to this place where I realized this and I said, God, my life has been all about me. All about becoming successful, all about doing things that make me look good. And at some point, i got to get the revelation. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ Jesus who lives inside of me. And he wants me to do something that makes a difference in the lives of others, not just for me. Amen? All right, so the the second thing is you're valuable because you can make a difference. Now, the third thing is what is my purpose? And this is kind of the... This is kind of the hard part to navigate, particularly when you're young, because you're, again, learning to wean off of your parents' wishes onto what God's will is for your life. And when you start to do this, you go through a process. Purpose is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't get it all at one time. You couldn't handle it if you got it all at one time. Because God's ways are so far above your ways and his thoughts are so higher than your thoughts that you're not conditioned to handle the magnitude of the mind of Christ all at one time. But as you start to mature, you'll begin to discover that God puts you on this earth to do something significant with your life. And in order to get there, you're going to have to go through a process. So let me take you through the process. The first part of discovering your purpose is you're going to have to have a cross experience. A cross experience. Now, if I could describe it this way, if you, if you could do this for me, I know this is going to seem a little kind of odd, especially with people right next to you, so be careful when you do this. But if you could just take your arms and maybe just kind of stretch them out a little bit, just stretch them out. Don't hurt, hit anybody next to you, but just kind of try to stretch them out. All right. Now, take your hands and, and then just bring them together and form a cross. Okay, form a cross like this. Now you won't be hitting anybody. All right. This is your life. In illustration, it's where this is you, this is you, this is your will, your way, your, your purpose, what you've chosen, your career, all these kind of things. And then God's purpose is this one. And what happens is when you come to Christ, this is the big transfer, is when you have to make a decision at the cross of your life, at the cross point of your life, which way are you going to go? Am I going to go my way or am I going to go God's way. Am I going to choose my path or am I going to choose God's path for my life? And this is where you have a cross 
experience. Now, unfortunately, you can put your hands down now. Unfortunately, most Christians don't get that. Most Christians don't get that, and so what happens is when they give their hearts to Jesus, I love Jesus, I want salvation, I want to serve God, when they start to enter into this place where they really start soul-searching, what is your purpose for my life, what am I supposed to do, and God begins to tell them some things that he wants them to do that don't align with what they're currently doing, they have to go through this decision. Am I going to follow God? I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and ask God to bless it. Am I going to just choose my path, my career, my, my, my way, and then ask God to bless it? And so most Christians are living a life with a foundation of their will and asking God to bless their will. God, bless my business. Bless this person I want to marry. Bless what I want to do. And, and they never ask God, is this your will for my life. Is this your will? Jesus faced this in the garden of Gethsemane. He had to say, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. All right, so I'm 22. I'm starting my journey with Christ. I'm sitting there having breakfast one morning. I had a business. I was making lots of money. I wasn't struggling at all. And I hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit say to me, I want you to sell your business, and I want you to move from New York down to Richmond, Virginia, and help a little church get started, and from there, I'm going to start your life over again. And I remember just going through this unbelievable moment with God where, like, are, are you kidding me? All my life, I've dreamed of owning my own business. I finally started it. It's starting to make money. I mean, God, I'm a businessman. I can make millions of dollars. I can give to the gospel. Come on, God. You know that's my calling. And he said, no, for you, that's not your calling. I have called you with a different calling, even though you can do that. Just because you can do things doesn't mean that's your calling. Y'all all right out there? Just because you're good at something, that doesn't mean that's your calling. And so I was good at this, but I, but I said, okay. And so I went back. I took a prayer time with God, and I said, okay, God. And I'm just crazy enough because I was such a radical sinner. I'm just crazy enough to said, as radical as I was for sinning, I'm going to be radical to follow you, Jesus. So I went and met with my partner. I said, I, I got to sell this part of my business to you. And I've got to move, and I did it. In 22 years of age, I moved to Richmond, Virginia, and started my life all over again. I found myself living in the little area called The Fan, which is kind of an area of Richmond where there's a lot of homeless people. And Colleen and I had just met each other. We were just dating at this time, and we were out one night, and we were just sharing Christ with people on the streets, with homeless people. And we led this homeless man to the Lord uh, that night, and the Lord said to me, he said, now, what are you going to do with this homeless person? Are you going to say, uh, be blessed, be filled, be merry, hope you make it? Or are you going to actually take the next step and do something with this person? Instead of just praying with them and say, I hope you make it, you take them into your home, you give them a shower, you give them clothes, you give them food, you give them a place to rest his head, a homeless person. And then you take him the next day to help him get off alcohol, and you walk with him through the process. Now, I remember very clearly the Lord saying this to me. He said, there's thousands of homeless people. You'll never solve the homeless problem in the world. 
But he said, learn this one thing about purpose. Do for one what you want to do for everyone. This is a big, big step into your purpose because you can't do for everyone. But when God brings something into your life, he tests your faith to see, will you take the cross and follow me or will you just keep doing things your way? So we took the cross and we said, all right, we're going to take this man. We're going to walk him through this process. My first preaching engagement was at a homeless shelter with about 20 homeless men. I preached a 30-minute message. 18 of them fell asleep. <laughs> Two of them answered the altar call, come on, Jesus. <laughs> and my ministry was launched. I had a van that was an empty cargo van, and I'd pile them all in the empty cargo van. They'd all sit in these lawn chairs because we didn't have chairs in the van. When we turned the corner, we'd hear, I'd hear them all crashing and falling over in the lawn chairs. We'd unpile and go into the church. We had all kinds of wonderful experiences back there. And I thought my purpose right then was going to be to minister to homeless people. I didn't know that that wouldn't be my final purpose, but that was my starting purpose. One of the men that I told you we led to the Lord and we started all this journey with, the first guy, we walked with him for a year through this process, just helping him get into the church, get a normal life. He had been on the streets for 33 years. A year later, we got married and her father didn't come to our wedding because he was mad. He was a Catholic. He didn't believe in leaving the Catholic church. So he said, I'm not coming to your wedding. So that homeless man put on a tux and walked my wife down the aisle when we got married in 1983. We had quite a wedding. We had a Jesus wedding. I had former prostitutes, homosexuals, everything you could think of that had gotten saved in our life. They were all in our wedding. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> we had this magnificent wedding. It was not a wealthy. We had $2,000 for the wedding. That's how much we had because our parents didn't have any money back then. And so we, we spent it wisely. But it was a Jesus wedding. It's not what you pay at the wedding. It's how you do after the wedding that really matters. What do you do after? By the way, by the way, you know we had a wedding this past weekend. Yeah. Colby and Madison. Colby, the pastor's son, and Madison got married. They're in New York enjoying their new marriage in New York City. So let's just give them a shout out. Let's praise God for them when they got their marriage. You're watching. Congratulations. <laughs> so... When you have this cross experience, you start on this journey down this path where it's not my will, but your will be done. The second thing that happens is you start to discover your holy discontent. This is the starting point where purpose begins to take part of your heart, where you start realizing there's something inside of me that looks at something in the world that needs to change, and I have to be a part of that change. I have to do something that actually changes something for the better. I can't just live my life for me or us four and no more. I've got to live outside of myself and do something that makes a difference. For me, when we started Victory in 1990, the Lord asked me, he said, what is your holy discontent? And I said, Lord, I have four areas in my heart that stir inside of me. And he took me over to the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Here's what it says. It says, and you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and shall be a witness of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. As I'm reading this, I hear the Lord say, you understand that these are the last words that I spoke before I left the earth. These are the last words of Jesus. There were no more words after this. And then it says he ascended into heaven. Now, how many of you know that you, pretty, you better pay attention to the last words that Jesus said? 
And he said, in these last words, I've placed your holy discontent. And I started mining that out in prayer. I said, well, my first thing, my biggest holy discontent at the beginning of my start with Jesus was the state of families, the American families, the brokenness of families. I come from a divorced home. My parents were divorced. Broken families. He said, broken families can be healed if you'll put your heart to it. And he said, that is your Jerusalem. That is your Jerusalem. And then I said, the, the thing that also burns me is the state of the community around church. He said, we live in a city that's church on every corner. And most people view church as a building they go to instead of a life they live in the community. And they go to church on Sunday, but they don't do anything that transforms the community around them. And that you've got all this power and potential inside the building that could just do amazing things in the prisons and in and, and, and all kinds of areas in the nursing homes and the poor parts of the community if the church would just get outside of themselves and start living the life of Christ outside. He said, that's your Judea. And then I said, what really bothers me, God, is when I see church meet on Sunday morning and Martin Luther King says in 1960s that 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour in America. The church world still hadn't gotten that in the 1990s. That it's still the most segregated hour in America. And he said, how can the church talk about Jesus and can't seem to do church with each other of different cultures? And he said, that is your Samaria because the Samaritans were the other culture from the Jews. And you need to bridge that gap and bring people together. And then he said, the uttermost parts of the world, that's the mission field. That's where all the world is lost and dying, different religions, different faiths, starving all over the world. He said, You're, you have been born in America for such a time as this. The reason you were born here and not in Africa, not in Ethiopia, not in India, where some of the greatest poverty of the world is. Can you imagine? Why were you born here? Why were you born in America and not in one of these third world countries where, they're, where they have unclean water and, and disease every single day and people die before they ever hit the age of two or three years of age? You were born here for a reason to help people like that, to make a difference in their, their lives. I tell our church, I said, listen, guys, we gather here and we're blessed. We are ble How many of you know you are blessed to live in this country? You are blessed to live here. People are paying millions of dollars to get into this country, to live here, because they know this is a, one of the most blessed countries in the world. But then what happens is the blessings overtake them, and they forget about why they're blessed, which is to be a blessing. It amazes me that a people could come to church and not tithe and not give. They completely forget what church is about. I tell our church, I said, I'm using you. I'm using you to, to touch the world. We gather together here not just to, to have a nice lesson and minister to our children, but to give resources that God has gifted us to make so we can make a difference in the world. We're about to hit 30 years in our church, and we've given over $75 million into missions. $75 million. You don't do that by yourself. And we built orphanages, hospitals, dug water wells, rescued human, rescued human trafficking. We bought a brothel in downtown Addis Ababa, turned it into a church. And the first Sunday, we had 400 girls come out of human trafficking into the first service there. We dug 18 water wells in a town called Angacha. 
which completely uh, changed the death rate by 40% in one year just by digging water wells. Do you understand? <laughs> when you understand your reason for living is not just for you and, and retirement on the lake, come on, somebody, and spending all your time just living for yourself, that your life has much bigger meaning than that if you can get out of yourself and say, okay, God, what is my holy discontent? Let me put my whole heart behind that. You can make a difference. And finally, you understand that purpose activates by faith. Faith is required to do something significant. And that's why it's important for you to understand how faith works. All right, let me give you an example of how faith works. If you could go anywhere in the world, like on vacation right now, you just say, okay, I could drop anything. I could just go anywhere in the world, where would you go? Where would you go? I want to hear somebody. Where would you go? Anywhere in the world. Just shout it out. Italy. Come on, baby. I love Italy. New York. All right. You see where Madison and... Chapel Hill. <laughs> we need to get you out a little bit more. <laughs> where would you go? Hawaii, come on, somebody. You go, you, all right, no, no, hold. All right, listen. Here's the, here's the reality. Here's the reality. Somebody is going there right now. The difference between you and them, what's the difference? Somebody's going there right now. Somebody's on a jet, airplane, flying to Maui, flying to Italy, flying. Some, they're, they're going there right now. They're going there. They're going where you've always dreamed of going. There comes a point in your life where you got to move from the dream world to doing world, to actual experiencing world. Amen. And you don't get there by just dreaming. You get there by activating your faith and stepping out and doing something about it. What is your goal in life? What is your goal to do before you die when you're standing before the throne of God? What do you want God to say about you in your life? Well, you existed. You went to Chapel Hill. What did you do with your life that actually somebody could say, that made a difference? There comes a point where you've got to start thinking outside of yourself. And you've got to step out in faith and do it. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer, only deceiving yourselves. For a man who doesn't do the word but hears it only is like a person who looks at themselves in a mirror and walks away and forgets who they really are. You were created in God's image. You were created to do something that shakes the world. The Bible says you were created to be an extraordinary person, living an extraordinary life. Don't let this world steal that from you. I want to pray for you this morning. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes before you go home today. And I want you to take a deep Selah moment with that. I want you to think about what God may be saying to you about your purpose today. God, my prayer is that everyone that's come to Freedom House today, everyone that's watching online, that you're beginning to stir a holy discontent inside of us about something. That you're beginning to help us to understand that, yeah, it's a cross experience. It's not our will, but yours be done. But 
God, life is not about protecting ourselves. Life is not about surviving. Life is about fulfilling purpose. So would you then begin to speak to us? And some of us are here. We're just kind of new to this thing. We're just starting out. Some of us have been doing this for a long time, but still really not fulfilled. Maybe today we just make a decision. We're going we're gonna to go your way, God. We're going to submit to your will. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you want to pray this with me, you just make this confession over yourself. Let's say this together, if you will. Let's say it, Jesus, right now. I just repent for anything in my life, any sin, any distractions that has stolen my purpose. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you're God. I believe you died for me, for my sins, and you rose from the dead. And I believe you have a high purpose for my life. So would you come now? Would you begin to speak to my heart about my purpose, about your will? And Lord, today, not my will, but your will be done in me. In Jesus' name. Let's take our hands now and just lift them up and just sort of as a sign of surrender. Jesus, we surrender to you this morning. We embrace the call of God, the purpose of God over our life. And I pray that the people that are here hearing this message, Lord, that our life will never be the same again, that today is a new day, a brand new day of walking out who you called us to be. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. God bless you.